When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zibiverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming, host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic They make me feel polished and modern, and the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin, and so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands, and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z-ZIBBY20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white, open, long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Good Morning America. Check it out, Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Dot com and definitely check out those shows as well. 
hope you'll all check out the all-new Zibby Mag, Z-I-B-B-Y-M-A-G, the literary lifestyle destination with essays, book news, a lit lifestyle feature, and even some classes. Check it out, zibbymag.com. Anthony Doerr is the author of Cloud Cuckoo Land, a novel. He is also the author of All the Light We Cannot See, which I absolutely loved, as did like a bazillion other people, but I loved it. Winner of the Pulitzer Prize, the Carnegie Medal, the Alex Award, and a number one New York Times bestseller. He is also the author of the story collections Memory Wall and The Shell Collector, the novel about grace and the memoir Four Seasons in Rome. He has won five O. Henry Prizes, the Rome Prize, the New York Public Library's Young Lions Award, the National Magazine Award for Fiction, a Guggenheim Fellowship, and the Story Prize. Born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, Dor lives in Boise, Idaho with his wife and two sons. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm so excited to have you. Oh, thanks so much, Zibby. It's a joy to be here. Thank you. Your latest book is Cloud Cuckoo Land, as basically everybody in the planet already knows. I'm tempted to ask you to describe it. I've I've read most of it, but maybe you could give a summary in case there is someone out there who is not that familiar. Of course. And summarizing this book is a total nightmare. So yeah, I'm I, like, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, I understand why you punted on that. The <laughs> book is set in the past, present, and the future, and it's kind of a triptych that's all shattered and repieced together and a moving back and forth between the 15th century, now the present day that you know, that right before the moments, right before the coronavirus pandemic, and also the future, which was this big gulp of courage that it took for me to try this. And I have one character in the future. So two uh, live in the 15th century uh, around the siege of Constantinople, which happened in 1453. Constantinople was kind of like a Noah's Ark of books of old Greek and Roman texts. These walls around the city really helped all these old texts survive. About 75% of the ancient Greek texts that we can read today survived because they were protected inside libraries, monastic and imperial and even private libraries inside of Constantinople. So we got two characters back then. 15th century was this time of crazy uh, technological change. The printing press is about to arrive on the scene. Europeans are adopting gunpowder from China, and that's really making all these old defensive walled cities obsolete because cannons are able to knock down all these walls. And of course, navigational techniques are really improving. So Europeans are quote unquote, discovering the new world or depending on your point of view or bringing terrible diseases to the new world and another point of view. So that's all going down. And then I've also chosen two other times of just intense technological change. And one is right now. I feel like we're living through this really intense period as, as disruptive as the printing press, the way we can access information, the way you and I are talking right now, thousand miles apart, the way we're bringing this podcast to people. It's just incredible. The way you and I can carry like the all of all of Agatha Christie's novels on our phone. You know, it's just astounding. So I'm just asking questions about what does it mean to live at this time when all this technology is disrupting existing power structures? And of course, in the future, I'm asking questions about artificial intelligence and climate change and the the disruption of those two. You know, what does it mean to the future humans, to our great grandkids, when there's going to be very, very interesting powers that artificial intelligence has and also the planet is under extreme duress? So is this the book you started out? Did you set out to write this with all these different pieces? Were you like, I'm going to see if I can pull this off? Like, how did this come? How did did you end up with this as the the back? Yeah, great question. 
I think for, you know, young beginning writers, beginning writers of any age, they often think they have this idea from like the cartoons of a light bulb appears over the head and you just like funnel the muses down onto the page. But that's not how it works for me at all. You, you come to these ideas slowly through time, you know, writing's like farming. It just takes forever for these little things to grow and you're always tweaking things. So no, in the beginning, I started just with Constantinople. My previous book, All the Light We Cannot See, was set Primarily, maybe 60% of it is set in a walled city called Saint-Malo in coastal France and Brittany. And uh, everything I'd read about the history of walls would mention Constantinople. And I knew nothing about it. Like, I felt like in, in high school, at, you know, in, in the United States, the, the teacher would get to, like, the fall of Rome in Western history and take a sip of water. And then suddenly we're at the Renaissance. And, like, this whole 1,100 years just gets skipped. And so I love to use my work as a way to rectify my ignorances. I'm going to die ignorant of so many things, but just like this amazing project you're doing, you're learning every day. I just think that's what I love about my job so much is I get to go find little pockets of things I know nothing about and try to educate myself a little bit. So it just started with this idea about Constantinople, but I realized to really dramatize the power of stewardship of what it means to protect a text through time, to protect what might be the very last copy of a very old book. You have to show it land in that lapse of readers long after you're gone. And so, you know, I was a parent the whole time, just like you, the whole time I was working on this book. Uh, and one of the coolest things about parenting is it kind of removes you from the center of your life and gets you thinking about, you know, what what can I pass down? What, what will this place look like for my kids when they're my age or when they're older than me and I'm gone? What kind of skills should I equip them with? So uh, I had stewardship on my mind the whole time I was working on the novel. And then about two months into this project of just the two characters in the 15th century, I realized I've got to show this book kind of tumble down through the pegs of history and land in other times. And then you'll really feel the effects by the end of the novel. Anyway, you'll feel the effects of what what the, kind of a this small, humble act of courage of saving this one old copy of one old book from Constantinople can mean. And hopefully it inspires folks to think, what small things can I do now that might, you know, might really impact a life, might really change somebody's life after I'm gone? Interesting. Well, I feel like it's interesting the way you show things that back in the day were huge deals that now are fine, right? Even surgery for cleft palates, for example, right? That was enough to have you, your whole family be ostracized and basically driven out of a village and have somebody believed to be, you know, this demon. Whereas today it's like, oh, okay, that this is how you fix that. And what does it mean? What is it today that will be fixed later that feels like an intractable problem now and making people think differently about the people we're around? Totally. Yeah, really astute observations, Zibby. I think it's so interesting to see what continuities exist and what fundamental disparities exist when you're studying history. And yeah, one, one of the characters back in the 15th century, Omir, has a cleft palate. It totally alters the trajectory of his entire life. And uh, yeah, that's one of those things that can be repaired now easily. And yet, there's other continuities through time. Like what was so interesting researching this novel is how many different generations of people have been convinced that they live kind of at the end of history. And, mm. you know, I think during the pandemic, even during the, you know, when Trump was disputing the results of the election, there's this feeling like, oh my gosh, we're living like the end of something right now. But it's kind of reassuring to read like during the Cuban Missile Crisis, people felt this way. You know, certainly during the siege of Constantinople, pretty much all the residents of the city believed like this was 
just the the end of humans on earth had arrived like the antichrist is at the gates and yet you know you you learn really all like at the end of rome all these roman officials thought you know oh boy this is it like the humans are over and yet human culture persists and so i really wanted to explore that in the book you know i'm playing a lot with dystopias and utopias the the phrase cloud cuckoo land is 2400 years old it was a you know vastly predates english it was a, a utopia imagined by this silly playwright aristophanes in ancient greece he had a play called the birds and these two guys think there are too many lawyers in athens in the play the birds and they go with the help of birds to find found a new city in the sky called cloud cuckoo land it's really maybe the first written western utopia anyway and as, as I was working on this book, my kids are taking so many dystopian narratives. It felt like every time I'd go downstairs, they're like, there's another flaming city or a melting planet on TV. And so I just wanted to say, like, well, what is the difference between a utopia and a dystopian narrative? Where do they meet? And so often my characters are faced with these feelings, this kind of syndrome of living at the end of history. Uh, I felt like that was this one continuity through time. And yet each time, hopefully, the novel kind of proves that human culture and humans and the earth persists. Well, I think it also taps into fear, perhaps fear as a parent, fear in general, fear of the world. I'm sure you're writing it during this period of complete upheaval. But what happens when someone who is essentially autistic or essentially processing disorder, like what happens when there is this room of of innocent kids and something horrible is coming their way, right? What does that mean? What are the shots below? And what does it mean to keep the, the show must go on? Like, what does that really mean these days anyway? Like what threats do we have lurking beneath us that we don't really know? Yeah, good question, Sibby. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the novel opens with this, these kids are trapped in a library. Each of the main characters is kind of confined, usually within walls in some way. And yeah, there's these five kids these elementary school kids are rehearsing a play of this old manuscript cloud cuckoo land and upstairs in the library when a young really sensitive boy comes in and fires a gun and yeah and then of course anna this girl in constantinople she's trapped within the walls as the siege yes. is occurring and then in the future this girl i've invented constance she's trapped really it doesn't give too much away to say there's a pathogen there's a uh, an, a pandemic occurring around her and so she's trapped in this circular vault and each of them uses literature as a way to kind of slip the bounds of the walls around them and that was what I felt during the pandemic. I mean, thank God for books. You know, I just felt yeah. like I was, especially in those first weeks when you're like, are we going to be dragging grandpa to the curb? Like what's going to be happening here? I just felt like books gave me two or three hours a day when I could slip the trap of my own problems. The ironic thing is, when you read, you often read alone, and yet it makes you feel so much less alone. And I often, you know, when I was finishing this novel, I wanted to somehow pay tribute to that magic, that simple, ancient magic of translating black marks on a white page into image and color and feeling, you know, just the way you did it in your memoirs. It'd be, it's like, it's such this old magic and tapping into it is such a privilege, and I wanted to not take it for granted. So hopefully throughout the book, you're reminded of, throughout this novel, you're reminded of the power of reading and storytelling. I think about this all the time, by the way, the power of books and story, and sometimes thinking about how long it's been that books have been this common language for all of us is very reassuring in today's day where there's 
there, there's, it's impossible to read all the books that come out and even curation is, is an issue, but people are still going to read. Like sometimes I think about it, I'm like, if people, if we introduced reading today and books today, would anyone think this was a good idea? Like sit still for 10 hours and don't do anything else. And there are no pictures. There's nothing else. Just like you have, and you have to think the whole time you have to use your brain. (laughs) Like people would be like, Oh God, no, I don't have time for that. Except if you sat them down and read to them the first three pages of an extremely compelling story, they'd yes. feel that old magic come over them. Just like that end of the history syndrome that's occurring through time. Same thing you hear all the time, like books are dying, books are dead. You know, the whole process of reading is going to go away. And every time that old magic drags humans back, we crave narrative. Like We are just like drug addicts looking for story all the time. And, you know, I feel that at night. I'm like, oh, what shows are on? Like, oh, I got to pick up a book. Like every day I want to be living my life and maybe the life of some characters I'm inventing. But also I just want to be immersed in these, you know, worlds that other people have created. So that that's when I feel like my life is in balance when I get to live in these kind of three separate places. I totally relate to that. Are there, is there anything amazing that you love and read and that feels like a huge escape for you that maybe you want to recommend, but you don't have to, because I just- Oh, no, that's fine. Uh, you know, it's funny, the writer Miley Malloy years ago told me about the Patrick O'Brien series to talk about like addictive stuff. He wrote oh. a, a series of books about like British Navy and Master and Commander was made into a movie, I think with yes, Russell Crowe. Yes. Yep. And this is the first one. And she's like, they're crack. These books are crack. So eventually I just did a publicity tour in France and was like, okay, I need something to get me through long flights. So I'm only halfway through the very first book, but it's exactly what she said. You know, you're like the detailing is unbelievable. It's a great work of historical fiction, but it's also an adventure story and you're just hooked. And that same magic trick occurs where you leave. I mean, you're sitting in an airplane seat going 500 miles an hour at 34,000 feet, but you're also somehow simultaneously living the life of this British naval captain. And, you know, that that magic doesn't get old. You know, may have been a little stronger and more powerful when we were kids, but I still chase those feelings of that immersion into another world. Me too. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I read your memoir, Four Seasons in Rome, which was amazing. And you made a joke, speaking of flying and just reading and escaping. You're like, in the time it took me to watch two Lindsay Lohan movies and an episode of Everybody Loves Raymond, like my twins and Sean and I were all, we were, here we are in, in Italy. It's so funny because it's true. All these things we take for granted. It's like, oh my gosh. So <laughs> I loved your memoir so much. I know we're supposed to talk about Cloud Cuckoo Land, which is also, all your stuff is amazing. All the Light We Cannot See was one of my absolute all-time favorite books. But I feel like I learned so much about you in your memoir too, and how you are as a father and what it's like. I have twins also, so I've I've been in a plane with tw- six-month-old twins. And it is not a, a, a moment I wish on anybody else. <laughs> I remember walking, I had like the two car seats over my arms, going through this really narrow plane at one point, and I heard somebody whisper like, oh my gosh, she's got twins. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is terrible. I'm like, you know. so anyway, I totally related to the whole thing. But I loved the way you wrote about your life and the way that you use language, even for the simplest things, to make things come to life, where you say sentences like, you know, a palm tree out the window traps the sunset. Beautiful. Like, the w- not that many words, everything is very clear, but like an immediate picture comes out. And then even the way you talk about writing, when you're like, all morning, I lay down sentences, erase them and try new ones. That paints a picture of a whole day and like all those experiences. So anyway, talk to me about writing your memoir and and what that experience was like. Oh, thanks, Simi. Thanks so much. Yeah. So in 2004, there's something that's amazing. It's like this lightning bolt from the sky called the Rome Prize, the Prix de Rome. And back then, anyway, you didn't apply for it in literature. You would just get nominated anonymously and get a letter saying, hey, would you like to go to Rome for a year? And the day we found out that we were offered that, my wife gave birth to twins. I had this fellowship at Princeton. I ride my bike back from the hospital to get her bag while she's finished, after she's finished delivery. And I get the mail and they're like, hey, would you like to move to Rome? So I come (laughs) back. I'm like, hey, how are you feeling? Like, who, who are these boys you just birthed. Hey, would you like to read this letter? So thankfully she had the courage to say, yes, we had this really transformative experience. It was so good for our marriage because it was just the two of us. And we basically had a baby all the time. And I had never lived in a city that big. You know, I live in Idaho. It was so engrossing to every street corner was so interesting. There's so many stories spiraling up out of every piazza that I just, I couldn't write fiction. I was just totally absorbed by learning about where I was. And so I kind of just kept notebooks. Usually I might write in a notebook for a few minutes before I start writing fiction, but the notebooks really took over that experience. And so when we got home, I just wanted to see if I could transform those. It felt like this dream when we got back and suddenly you're immersed back into habit. And I wanted to try to capture that sense of having your habits all disrupted because I was living in the kind of a new country of Italy and the new country of fatherhood all at once. And uh, I wanted to see if I could use language to somehow capture that because we all live in habit and habit can be an extremely useful thing. Like it helps Zibby find the light switch in the bathroom in the middle of the night. But 
uh, habit can really be paralyzing too. There's a Chinese proverb that says, uh, habits are cobwebs at first, cables at last. And I do feel like sometimes there's days when I ride my bike to work to start riding and I don't even remember my bike ride to work because I just was so stuck in my own head. And I don't want to sleepwalk through life. I, I became a writer. I got interested in art because it helps wake you up to the wonder and the grandeur of being alive at all. And of course, it's okay occasionally when you're tired at night to like take in a Disney movie where you know everything that's going to happen. Of course, it's fine. But I want sometimes to seek out narratives and descriptions that startle you again, that remind you what it looks like when a sun is, when the sun is slipping down behind a palm tree. So I love writers and, uh, and painters and uh, musicians, anybody who's taking habit or structures that are a little familiar and disrupting them. Sometimes it's a little more challenging, but it always wakes you up and reminds you like, oh, a bowl of fruit has never been painted like this before. And my favorite painters are always showing you the new world and, and the world in this new, almost childlike way so that you see it again, so that you feel habits are disrupted a little bit. That's such an interesting way to talk about it. Yeah. Even when you talk about the size of the fridge or all these little things, right? You're like, just these little, just the the dial tone is a different tenor. Right? It's a different tone. And this is just the, the police sirens are just a little bit different. And it, that's what makes life so, that's what's so unique about travel. Somebody, I just read somewhere, it was something like, if you don't, like your life is a book. And if you don't travel, then you stay in chapter one your whole life. Oh, it, that's it, amazing. Right? Isn't that a good one? I, I would quote the person if I could even remember where I found it. But but I, I totally relate <laughs> to true. going through life like that. I actually went to a doctor. I went to a neurologist at one point when I was like deep in the not sleeping with twins early on. And I was like, I think I'm losing my memory because I'll like, I never know if I've washed my hair or not. Like I'll, I, sometimes I, I am getting lost on the street. Like I, there's, I'm not, pay, you know, and it turned out like I just wasn't imprinting the memories to begin with because I wasn't paying any attention. Mm. So it's not that you're losing memory. It's that you just are so not present that they never imprint to begin with. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. I can so relate. Those first <laughs> years are so hard and sleep is so important to our memory making and our sanity and when your sleep is disrupted night after night, you're always a little bit on edge. Those first years are so tough. But you, we, I take solace now in, in thinking, you know, we all, everybody survives. You get through yeah, those yeah. years. And it's so, you know, our boys went to college two weeks ago. Oh uh, my gosh. It's like, it all just felt like it was just this rush, this like light speed movement of these 18 years. So I want, it's just like I'm talking about, I just want to try to remember to be present every time I get the chance to be around them again, if they ever want to come home and be around us again, because it's all so precious. You know, the fact that our lives end is sucks, but it's so beautiful too, because it just puts pressure on our life to say like, you're only here. The earth is four and a half billion years old and you're only going to be here if you're so lucky 80 years. So why not try to be as present as you can and pay attention to everything you can while you're here? hundred percent. I released this episode with Neil deGrasse Tyson recently, who's amazing. And that was, he's like, it is so unlikely to even be alive that, that you have the chance to exist. So don't waste a day. I don't know. I've had like a spring in my step since I had that episode because it's so true. It's like, we're so lucky to even get this. It's just, 
it's against all odds that we're even here right now. And who knows how long, but he also, of course, like what you're saying, pointed out that the beauty in it is because it's going to end just like the beauty of a flower, you know, all of that. But it's true. It's a good reminder that to seize the day, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Richard Dawkins has this great thing and it's, he has a book called Unweaving the Rainbow and he just goes through the odds of that one sperm finding that one egg to make you is so astronomically improbable and that the pregnancy is successful and that you're delivered and that you get to survive into the point where you can read this book that he's writing (laughs) is so incredibly unlikely. And it is really important, I think, when you're stuck in traffic or you're in a long line at the supermarket to occasionally take a breath and be like, I should be so grateful every second, especially those of us who are lucky enough to be able-bodied. Like I'm standing on two legs and I get to, you know, buy food in a supermarket. It's incredible. All these little miracles around us. Sometimes we forget to be grateful for them. Are you really sad that the boys are gone? What does it feel like? Yeah, thanks. It feels joyful and sad and they braid around each other all the time. Like trash night the other night was hard because I go in their rooms. I'm like, oh yeah, there's nothing in their trash cans because they don't live here anymore. (laughs) That was a tough one. But then you hear from them and they're making new friends and having new experiences. And especially with the pandemic being right before they left, we're so grateful that they're going off to live these big lives where they get to all be around each other and live in that like zoo of hormones that is freshman year at college. And you realize that, you know, we can't give them that big of a life at home anymore. And so, you know, I try to remember and most of the time that I'm really grateful, but there are moments when you feel sorry for yourself or you just feel old. You're like, wait a minute. What what now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My twins are at boarding school for the first time this year for high school. And it's similar. I have two other little guys at home, so it's not quite the same. But I'm like, if if these guys were gone too, like, then what? Like when you orient your life so much around somebody else's set of activities and things, even with a professional life. But anyway. Yeah. uh, But you're doing it. You're managing like a really rich professional life. And that's a great model for them, for them to see, oh, mom's doing her podcast now. Mom's writing now. It's a great way to show them like, I am a human being too. I don't just exist to serve your schedule. Yes. (laughs) They don't even really care. I'm like, hello, (laughs) anybody? I'm here, you know, brush your teeth. Anyway. So what are you like now that they are out of the house and this book is out, what is your next like year or two look like? What are you going to do? Are you going to travel? Are you committed to living where you live? Like what's your, what, what now? Yeah. Good question. I'm still, I'm doing publicity still for Cloud Cuckoo Land. I have the paperback coming out in the United States next week. So right now I'm still kind of just living short term. Like I got to get through that. And then yes, it's going to be really interesting. I I know we're going to stay in our house for a year or two. We've been told like the kids want to come home to have their own bedrooms, but it does seem odd because we have a five bedroom house and it seems odd that now, like, you know, one's my office, but like, what do we have these other bedrooms for? They're empty. So yeah, eventually I'd like to get a slightly more streamlined life, I think, and be able to travel more. I would love to just, you know, do Airbnb in a couple of different countries every once in a while, chase projects. I, you know, my books are usually really research intensive. And so having my wife be able to come with me, you know, I had three trips to France to write all the light we cannot see. And back then she's just in the mix of raising kids. And we don't even know if I'm going to finish the book and the trips are costing us money. And, you know, it's just the stress of that is going to be gone. And that's so exciting. I was so worried about her in the 
memoir when she had that moment where she was fainting and in the hospital and you were freaking out. Oh my gosh. Anyway, I'm assuming all is good now. Everything's yeah, she's good. doing great. Thank okay, you. good. <laughs> and what, do you have another book that you already started on that you have yeah. already started on? Yeah, I have three projects and they're kind of like plants. You know, you, you got to water them with attention and time and see which one kind of grows sturdy and strong and captures your attention. So I don't, I'm not really talking. I don't try not to talk about things until I'm far enough along because you kind of tend to abandon projects sometimes. It's all just trial and error for me. And you just need time to just say, which one of these is going to kind of, you you, know, you you rummage around in it. And if you feel that like lightning inside of it, you're like, this is something, This there's enough energy in this that I can sustain a years long project. And I'm in that phase now where I'm like, well, maybe this one, how about I'll try this one today. It's kind of great. It's kind of a fun time. And it doesn't, you don't get confused between all the different narratives and all that. No, no, Very no, clear. no. Yeah. yeah. I'm reading about like cybersecurity one day and then like DDT. I've been reading a lot about this pesticide DDT that was really this amazing savior during World War II, you know, eradicating all these diseases because it wiped out mosquitoes. But of course, we started using way too much of it and it really damaged ecosystems later. But it really links in my mind to the nuclear bomb, this idea that like technology builds these really dangerous weapons and science can both save us and destroy us all at once. There's something really interesting about that. I thought you weren't going to talk about it. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe that won't become a book. I don't know. <laughs> Amazing. I'm just wondering, you've been at this for so long. You were such a successful, revered author. And how do you feel about continuing to do book publicity? Oh, gosh. Good question. You know, I think there are so many interesting young writers coming out. So the last thing I want is for like somebody to choose my book and not buy like a story collection by a young 26-year-old writer. But I also feel like sometimes if you spend whatever, a hundred thousand hours, I don't know if that's accurate, but so much time writing a book, maybe you owe it to that project to spend, you know, one half of 1% of the time trying to get it into people's hands. And, you know, you fall in love with all these people at your publishing house and, you know, they, they want the book to be successful in a sense of whatever successful means is probably means selling copies. So yeah, there's parts of me that I don't mind. And you get to meet interesting people. You know, I just did seven days in Paris and, you know, talking to all these journalists about what's going on in Europe right now and the fear of the rise of this extremist nationalism and talking to them about the mustard shortage, which is tied to climate change and the invasion of Ukraine. You know, so it's always an opportunity to learn if you're if you're not just talking about yourself all the time. So I would rather probably be writing or standing in a stream by myself, but it's, it's not the end of the world that people want to talk to me about my books. It's kind of nice. Awesome. Well, thank you for letting me talk to you about your book. This was so much fun for me. And again, I'm just, I'm such a fan. I have so much respect for you and what you do with words and story. It's just, I mean, it's amazing, really amazing. So thank you for chatting with me today. Oh, well, thank you so much, Zibby. And thanks for all your work trying to connect readers and writers. My pleasure. All right. I'll take care. Okay. Bye. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. Okay. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hold up. 
mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.